0: I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are now on the third lesson of our second quarter, The Promise, God's Everlasting Covenant. And today's lesson, or this week's lesson, is called All Future Generations, you know, taken from the scripture itself. And essentially, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah. Noah and forward about the covenant relationship with God that He established then, or He continued then, and even continues to our day today. So, a lot to cover in this lesson. Well, we should probably start with a word of prayer. We're going to start with a word of prayer. If you would be so and then kind, you're going to introduce our
1: talking, talking points. points. Yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the privilege we have of knowing you and your Son, Jesus Christ, knowing the covenants, Lord, and being a part of them, Lord. And we we pray that through our study of this subject, not only will we better understand the blessing we have through the covenants, but we may be able to uh, more effectively convey those blessings to others uh, because it's your desire that all would be saved. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Okay. So again, as we mentioned earlier, and you can see it in the introductory area there, that this uh, this whole this whole week is predicated on the idea that once sin was unleashed, it was it just went wild, and it needed to be dealt with. And essentially, the covenant is God's dealing with the sin problem right. of humanity. And so, in line with that introduction, talking point number one is that sin is our spiritual pandemic. Now, obviously, that's a play on words because we, we're yeah, thinking about COVID and pandemics yeah. and, and health-related I, things. I
1: believe, in fact, we, we I don't know if we used the word pandemic officially, but we unofficially had made the gospel pandemic-esque in one of
0: our <laughs> did we do that recent, recent lessons. Well, the um, reason we did it...
1: Well, we talked about it, how it was ubiquitous and, and all, pervasive, all pervasive and what yes. have you, um, but... Not in the pandemic. This is much more of a pandemic. well.
0: If it's gospel, it'd be a panacea. It's the <laughs> that's ultimate right. cure, that's right? Exactly. But this is. But the introduction starts on in Sabbath afternoon when he talks about. Um, bacteria pandemic has just found and, its
1: way into our vocabulary. Yes, it, a lot now more it's everything's <laughs> a
0: pandemic of this or that. But the literal pandemic. He's talking about how bacteria spread so just you know exponentially. Just right. you know, and and essentially the parallels. That's how sin is, and we'll get into that. But sin is our spiritual pandemic, taken from Sabbath and Sunday. Now, talking point number two is grace empowers us for righteousness. There's going to be a lot of talk about grace this entire quarter, and this is yet mm-hmm. another example of that. But we're going to talk about how grace uh, kind of we almost sometimes use grace in a generic sense. We just you know it's grace of God, but mm-hmm. what does that really mean? We're going to explore that a little bit this okay. week, and that comes from. Monday's lesson. That's all found inside of Monday's. And then finally, talking point number three, the covenant is God's from start to finish. We're looking at how he initiated the covenant, he perpetuates the covenant, and finally it's going to bring it to its culmination in the last days. And that's taken from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday's lesson. So a lot of good material to cover here. Let's go back to that number one. Yeah,
1: tell us about sin being our spiritual pandemic, Cameron.
0: Well, clearly... um, the Lord created everything in the very beginning, as we've already covered, in perfect, in right. perfection. Good, 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 very good, right? But Genesis chapter 3, the, the, the rebellion that started in heaven was now continued here through Adam and Eve and their decision to go against the commands of God. And from that one point, it spread very rapidly. And this wasn't... Yeah, spe- it would have
1: been nice if it would have been, you know, it went so far and somebody said, hmm. Nah,
0: let's, let's halt that. Know.
1: You get Adam um, some of the descendants, whatever you uh, right. now we're not going to go. Yeah, there. it went
0: two generations now, but then they were like, no, eh, let's go a different way. Uh, that's just not the nature of it. And and this is a little bit of uh speculation I've added in here, but I think it's like I think it's good speculation, of course. You know? Oh, well if you <laughs> added exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. But it might be an interesting conversation to have in your Sabbath school class about why did sin spread so rapidly, so thoroughly, and there's something unique about there's there were uniquenesses of humanity that you know, aren't anymore, even though sin would still rapidly spread. But I think about, like, for instance, Adam and Eve, you know, when they sinned, they were just the two of them. And they, the, the human family was very small, very intimate. Right. So every sinner knew the other one. And plus, they were very long-lived. And so you would know generations of sin could be, you know, perpetuated and multiplied. And think about the amazing powers of Thought and, and and physical capacity that we had to... Right. No wonder spreads, sin spread like the virus that it is. It, it was just all-consuming.
1: Well, it's not a virus. It's, it has to do with your mind and your... your, your you yes, know, it's truly could, mental so disease, spiritual disease. You're talking about yeah. the mental capacity of humanity, obviously that would just enhance something that could be communicated that way.
0: Exactly. And that progression is brought out in the lesson here. and I thought Or it was regression. A, yeah, degression. Here. <laughs> but it was in Sunday's lesson, um, starting with Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Um, and we don't have the time here to go over that, but I would encourage you, that's a good thing to do in your, in your Sabbath school classes. Look up the text listed below, write down the points they make. And again, the points that would be in regard to sin and the spreading of sin. Right. And what I noted there in Genesis chapter 3, so for example, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 is when Eve sees the forbidden fruit and she decides to disobey. By the time you get to chapter 3 verses 11 through 13... They're now shifting blame. God calls them out and what what has happened? Have you eaten from the tree? Well, the woman you put here. No, no, the serpent. Right. And so they're already starting to ca- they're getting used to sin very quickly, right? So you come into Cain good. and Abel. Cain and Abel, That's you situation. know, it heightens up from anger to to you know rejection of God's worship, and then killing his brother, and then Cain's descendants. You have Lamech, who's now mm. polygamous, and he kills another young man yes. for looking. That sin goes from that initial, like, just looking at something <laughs> forbidden and choosing to all of a sudden, in just a few verses, basically. Then you come to Noah and everybody. Right. Exactly. And let's look at that passage. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, mm-hmm. uh, verse
1: 5. Bible says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <laughs>
0: I had, a, I had a professor at Southern who talked one time he's like talk about the redu- department of redundancy department. Yes. Right? He's like how many different ways can you say that people were bad their the really thoughts of their bad. Only, the thoughts of their minds were only evil all the time. And and every intent. Yeah. So it's almost as though they took every word you could say to talk about how bad man and by the time we get to Genesis 6 that's how bad sin had gotten. Yes. And so uh, Sin by its uh, by its nature, and this is the next point. Now is the only cure for this is complete eradication. Right, you, you're not going to modify sin or like compromise with it or adjust it somehow and tweak it so we can Even
1: quarantine it. Right, you cannot even because exactly. if it still exists, some it's going to find it, its it, way it, out. It
0: is by its very nature destructive. It does not die out. It does not die out. No, yeah. and. And that's why the Lord does promise in Scripture to make an utter end of it. It's not going to be uh, mollified in some way. Right. And in Sunday, paragraph 3, you want to read that one here for us, what uh, the lesson brought out? I thought aptly so.
1: Yeah, the, the lesson says in the third paragraph, partway through it says, Sin is not like a cut or a wound with some, auto, uh, uh, with some automatic built-in process that brings healing. On the contrary, if left unchecked, sin multiplies, never satisfied until it leads to ruin and death.
0: Mm. And so, exactly right. We have other injuries, physical injuries or mental things that we can iron out through Mm -hmm. therapy or whatever, you know, things we do to take care of it. But there's not a thing to do about sin. Once it gets going, it has to be ended completely. Right. So, then the lesson goes on to look at verses 6 and 7 of Genesis. says here, well, why don't you read? Can you read Genesis 3, Genesis 6? Verses 6 and 7. And
1: the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them.
0: Now, I don't know if you, obviously you caught that, but the Lord is not just stating facts man has sinned he must be ended but it's it's very like evocative it's very personal for him it's it's he's not taking delight in this no it's not a joy and it's not just a cold arbitrary thing that oh well this is the next step he's grieved the bible says grieved in his heart that that he came to this sorry man existed at all Mm -hmm. why did it have to be like this right so he he, decided The lesson brings this out. It's Sunday, paragraph four, the very next paragraph. It says, no wonder God hates sin. No wonder, sooner or later, sin will be eradicated. A just, loving God could do nothing else with it. So we think, why would God destroy the world? Well, because sin was destroying that world. He has to step in. I've often
1: thought of it in terms of like in Romans uh, 1 and verse 18, it talks about how the wrath of God... Is mm-hmm. against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Yes, because oftentimes we think of the wrath of God. God's mad at people. Mm-hmm. No, the wrath of God is not against the men. It's the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Right, and His wrath is in direct proportion to His love. Yes, in other words, if God didn't love us, who cares if we're destroyed? Mm. Hey, go ahead, you're going to get this. It's going to kill you. Great, I'm happy. You know, <laughs> so it's it's a it's a concept that we don't. It doesn't natural for us to think that way, but. The more God loves us, the more He hates the ungodliness and the righteousness that's destroying us. Right. And, if he, and again, if He didn't yeah. love us, who cares if we're destroyed? It's because it's destroying us and because He loves us that God
0: is moved has in this way. moved
1: in, in these acts Well, and of again, justice.
0: put that in, that juxtapose that with what we just read about how every intent of the thoughts and heart was only evil all the time. Right. These people are eaten through with it. And He says, mm-hmm. I have to deal with it. So, sin is, point number one, our spiritual pandemic. But now, let's move on, because what you see in the lesson is kind of a progression from Genesis 6, 5, the problem, uh, 6 and 7, how the Lord is lamenting the creation of man and and the destruction that he has to do now. Right. And then it comes to verses 8 and 9, which you find on Monday's lesson. And interestingly, the contributor here, or the editor, whoever put this together, Breaks up that progression, doesn't go 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He now says, jumps to 9. 9, 8. And then 8. And that's okay. Um, So why don't we read it both ways? That's right.
1: Let's just... Okay, we'll start with how the lesson does it. Okay. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Mm -hmm. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 actual reading is, and um, of course you've got that. But begins in verse eight. Mm-hmm. God has said he's going to destroy man from the earth. But Noah, Noah found, found grace, grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God.
0: Right, and so the the lesson here brings out these. Character tr- attributes that are n- laudable, noble, right? A righteous man, blameless. He walked with God. It sounds like Enoch, you know, who went right. directly to heaven. Like this is a, a translating faith, if you will. He, he's that uh, devout. He's that. And <laughs> what a contrast from what we just saw from every other person whose thoughts and intents were, you know. So there's this wash of the world, no pun intended, f- rife with sin, and then there's righteous Noah, right. and and. Interestingly enough, when we look at the covenant now, the author brings out the point about how grace in verse eight is directly connected to those character traits in verse nine, and I think that's which it that's, is, which is absolutely <laughs> true, right? Um, and what it says here, and I'll read into the, I'll read this paragraph, and let's discuss yes. it a little bit. This is Monday's. This is the bottom of Monday's, the last paragraph. It says, the gr- word grace occurs here for the first time in Scripture. Now, that's an interesting point in and of itself. We've gone through all kinds of stuff in this Bible story, and this is yes. the first explicit mention. Now, we've heard inferences, and we could read the word into it, but here the word grace mm-hmm. is first invoked. Okay, The word grace occurs here for the first time in Scripture and clearly has the same meaning as in the New Testament references. Okay, And that makes sense that if there's going to be grace in Scripture, it's going to be the same in the Old and New Testament. Right. So there's not two different kinds of grace. Where the merciful, unmerited favor of God exercised towards undeserving sinners is described. Now, that's absolutely true. That there is the mercy of God is clearly evident in this passage. In fact, the Lord was just about to destroy the whole world, but He decides for not Noah. He's going to that Noah will be spared, him and yes. his family, and he's going to be a, a, a vehicle, literally, for salvation. Right. So, there is this mercy of God, this unmerited favor. And then the next sentence it says, Thus, we need to understand that however blameless and righteous Noah was, he was still a sinner who needed the unmerited favor of his God. In that sense, Noah is no different from any of us who seek earnestly to follow the Lord. Now, there's a lot in there I can resonate with, and I I agree wholeheartedly. Was Noah ontologically any better than those wicked people? That, no, everyone was equally human and equally fallen, right? So they were all deserving of, in their, own, in their own lives and merits, the justice that God was going to meet out with the flood. But there was something different about Noah. And the, the Bible mentions that he was righteous, that he was upright, that he, was, he walked with God, and that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And first of all, you've got some a little challenges yeah, it, with grace. Yeah,
1: the, the the whole and I I can't knock this. It's in spirit of prophecy, and other places, unmerited favor. But it's one of those cliches now. Mm-hmm. And the problem with a cliche is people stop thinking about it. Mm. It's just we think, oh, unmerited favor. What in the world is unmerited? Unmerited means undeserved. Mm-hmm. But the idea, and I'm taking now not the Hebrew or the Greek word, but our English word grace, to be gracious to somebody. If you deserve something, if you work for me and earned a paycheck and I give you a paycheck, not I'm not being gracious. gracious. <laughs> yeah. So unmerited is inherent in the concept of grace. Mm. So even to throw it in there is is It's,
0: it's okay, almost redundant. yeah. But
1: it's almost redundant, right? Yeah. And so, in the lesson, what the lesson I know is trying to do, and this is this is the challenge we're running into in it, all the time. I was going to say, in this lesson, all the time, we're afraid. Yeah. Anytime you talk about somebody doing something right, you've got to throw in the caveat and say, now you didn't earn that. Now you didn't deserve it. Well, you, your, your goodness isn't because, instead of, so we have a statement. That contrast in Scripture, mm-hmm. like God's going to destroy the whole world except this guy. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. Why not this guy? Because he was an upright and righteous man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Now the lesson wants to point out now his uprightness and his that wasn't because of him. Right. He isn't inherently good. He didn't earn that by his good works, and I can appreciate that. Right. But at the same time, the the lesson. Wants to make that point that God's unmerited favor is given to everybody, so why didn't everybody find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Was in other words, the scripture is yeah. clearly saying that the distinguishing feature of Noah was his righteous behavior. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to talk behavior because behavior, we want to attribute that to, you know, oh, we're going to attribute that to ourselves. And there's this fear that there are so many people in the Adventist church today that are walking around. Uh, attributing to
0: themselves all these righteous works. Well, and that was honestly, that was my little concern with this one line in the lesson. It says, again, thus we need to understand that however blameless and righteous Noah was, he was still a sinner who needed the unmerited favor of God, which tends to, at least in my reading of it, imply that Noah was a good guy. He was blameless and upright, but still not good enough. Don't ever think he can be good enough. He still needed grace. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I I would have never assumed that Noah uh, apart from grace would like, have been upward, yes, or no, almost pointless.
1: like he had an inherent goodness like we right. all have an inherent goodness and this has been the problem in the church. We think our inherent goodness is enough to be totally perfect and sinless, right. but our, our goodness isn't that good. It's kind of that good, right?
0: It's no good at all. Right. <laughs> That's my point, is that when I, when I read this passage about Noah... And I was going to say this. When no, a
1: person ahead. becomes... A, here's a, here's the, one of the challenges with these kind of discussions is... And I'm not... Right. We're just talking. When we have a... Um, when a person becomes a Christian, the very first realization is that, in the words of the Apostle Paul, in my flesh dwells no, no good, good thing. thing. Like, when I realized my need for Christ, that was the aha moment. And and from that point, I realized there's nothing good in me. Mm-hmm. If I'm still thinking about how good I am, I'm not converted. And I'm not going to say there aren't people in the church who are going to be, yeah, I'm a good person. But if you are, you're not converted to Christ. Yeah. Because the first, th- then you don't need Christ. You don't need a Savior. You don't need His grace. You don't need a- it. Right. It's when I've realized I don't I'm not perfect, I am a sinner, I, I am in, in need of a Savior as much as anybody else, that I come to that realization that in my flesh dwells no good thing. Right. and so that's I'm not what, taking credit to myself. Exactly. And
0: when I look at the story of Noah, I don't. it, it never even occurred to me to think like, boy, he was an inherently good guy, Yeah. and he was fortunate <laughs> enough to find that grace. You know, the, the, he was a good two. guy, I hope it doesn't go to his head. Exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't, Noah, but Noah, right. don't take... Yeah. So I'm not... I, I just can't fathom the idea that grace just called him good, arbitrarily, that that grace was the thing that empowered him to be good, right? Yes. That that's the grace that led him to those things. And that's what and and I've got several passages written down there, but the Apostle, because it invoked the New Testament, yes. right? It said like...
1: Okay, so the lesson tends to be just looking at grace from this this unmerited favor standpoint. Right. God's, and I like to ask the question, it, it is undeserved favor from God, but what does he give us in that undeserved favor? In other words, it's undeserved. But what is God's what favor? What is the favor? What does it's that even mean? It's the righteousness of God. Right. And it's interesting that the lesson to me, it's kind of narrowing down grace. But the very same lesson, in the teacher's comments on page twenty-six from last week, come on now, brings out the point that grace. Cause, so, so here in the in the thing that we're looking at, it says um, the word grace here occurs the first time in scripture and clearly has the same meaning. As the new, t- well, What's the lesson itself gives three meanings okay. on page twenty-six. It says under uh, Covenant Basics, Scripture depicts three distinctive meanings to grace. Grace means loving acts of God toward undeserving sinners. Amen. Grace points to the wonderful character of God. Amen. And grace points to God giving us strength to overcome. hmm And so it seems to be narrowing it down here. When the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord just to that first one or maybe right. the second when one.
0: when the passage seems to be Noah found grace and because of it he was a just man perfect in his generation that he, the, that's he right. couldn't have been those things in that generation without the empowering grace of Christ that's right? right that's my point
1: point. and so we kind of sell grace short sometimes a and we need to bit. understand that the grace of
0: God is well you've got some powerful statements well here. and, and we, let's I'll just mention that because they invoke the new testament if you look in the new testament especially yeah. in the ministry of Paul uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 3, Ephesians 3, he often will talk about how grace, this grace was given right. me that I should do this, right? That grace is not just like, oh, he smiled at me, he was nice to me, right. he, he, he well, called one me One of my good. favorite he, passages you know.
1: is where Paul talks about that weakness, that thorn in the flesh, mm. and he says um, that God's, you know, said, my grace, my grace is sufficient... Is because my strength mm. is made perfect in weakness. So mm. it parallels grace and strength. Right. And there, then Paul says, therefore, I'm going to gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ... Mm. So that whole passage is speaking about God's grace empowering.
0: Exactly. And, and that... As you say, many others. And let's look at just a few of the many statements from the Spirit of Prophecy on this very point. You want to read the Desire of Ages where? Yeah, Desire
1: of Ages 302 says, The only power that can create or perpetuate true peace is the grace of Christ. Mm. When this is implanted in the heart, it will cast out the evil passions
0: that cause strife and dissension. Mm. And this was from Testimonies, Volume 2, page 561. You should control your thoughts. This will not be an easy task. You cannot accomplish it without close and even severe effort. Yet so, God requires... Oh, there's the bad E word. Oh, yeah, but, but watch out. Personal how... effort. Ugh, gross. Yet God requires this of you. It is a duty resting upon every accountable Duty, being. ugh. But, she then adds, the power of grace alone can accomplish this most desirable work That's so right. there are works to do and there's power
1: to do it and there must be because there must it's the be. only way we can do it and one power, more this grace. day with god you want to read this that? this day with god page 151 says becoming partakers of his divine nature we are to learn to discern the temptations of satan and in the strength of his grace overcome the
0: corruptions that are in the world through lust Corruptions that are in the world through lust. If there was ever a time that could be applied to a circumstance, it would be the condition of you know, the world in Noah's day. You know, th- right? This
1: makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul says, he compares himself to the other apostles and he says, mm-hmm. but I labored more abundantly than all of them. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but, but the Christ. grace yeah. of God mm. which was in me. Mm. So here grace is clearly like I worked. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working in me. Just that right. same concept. Paul understood the power of grace in his life, which is what made him a great apostle.
0: Exactly. And it goes back to that passivity thing. We're often tempted, well, it's just passive. No, no, no. God's <laughs> giving me something to do, and he's giving me the ability to do it. Well, let's, yeah. So anyway, it's much easier to say, I just can't do it. I'm going to sit down and wait till Jesus comes. But what happens when God himself says, no, you can do it. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure it happens. Like, well, okay, well, I'm, on, I'm on the clock then. All right. Speaking of the clock, we need to keep running. But uh, point number three then comes from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and it's yes. kind of a it's a it's a, a chronological arc here in the story that God, the covenant, is God's from start to finish. Uh, let's look at uh, just a couple of passages here. For instance, yes. Genesis six verse eighteen. If you'll find that one, yeah,
1: it says, "But I will establish my covenant with you." And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you.
0: Mm -hmm. And again... uh, So it's
1: my covenant, he says.
0: Exactly. Genesis chapter 9, again, verses 11 and 15 says, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 15, And I remember my covenant, which was between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh also verse nine mentions my covenant he's right, so repeatedly in this story, God is not just saying a covenant or our covenant he 's saying it 's my covenant That's right. and so and we 've looked at this in previous lessons that the covenant starts and ends with god right it's we 're brought into it and it 's with us, but it 's from him, and the rainbow then which is mentioned in um, wednesday 's lesson. And, of course, is talked about in the passage after the flood, is a symbol of this everlasting God-initiated covenant. And in my reading of this, I like to, again, speculate a little bit. Why would he make the rainbow that? Well obviously there had just been a flood and spirit of prophecy tells us there had never been rain before, there had right. never been storms so it was a new phenomenon and you can imagine now we have storms and rains seasonally regularly, you know, no matter where you live on the earth you're going right. to deal with that and imagine if the Lord hadn't given that promise or put that sign in the cloud, every time it rained you'd be thinking, this could be the day it could be the next mm-hmm. one, and he said Look, we're going to have seasons now, we're going to have rain the earth is different, mm-hmm. but I'm going to put this sign there that not only you will see it now, but all succeeding generations will see this same sign and know that I am remembering this covenant and yeah. I'm keeping it. So, number one, it's, the, the rainbow is interesting because it's chronological. It starts there and it continues until Jesus comes. Right. We're going to still have, you know. Are you
1: make a little rainbow with your finger. Uh, yeah, I was making gonna...
0: it. Boy, if we had uh, special effects, we could like. Ding. That's right. Um, but then also it's also all around the world so everyone in all times and all places has access to this symbol that's powerful and the rainbow is a symbol of God's everlasting covenant because it also represents the glory or character of the Lord mm-hmm. now i wanted to bring out this passage cuz i just found it fascinating that in ezekiel chapter 1 when the He's glory describing
1: the throne of God
0: exactly the glory of the Lord is seen in his own throne room right See in verse 28, this passage, Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so is the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So that when we look at the rainbow, we not only see a sign that the Lord established, but we get a glimpse of his glory, right? His very character.
1: And again, that surrounds the throne. We see that also illustrated in Revelation chapter 4. So. Exactly.
0: It's, it's a continual everlasting sign. And it just touches on this very little bit on the last day's lesson, Thursday, Mm -hmm. that Noah, the story of Noah, introduces the concept of a remnant, right? Uh, You can read that in Genesis chapter 7, verse 23. You want to read that for us, please? So he
1: destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing, and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those... Who were with him in the ark remain alive. And of course, alive is italicized. Right. So remains. Only remained. Right.
0: They, were the, they, they were, were
1: the only ones left. They were left, right. Right.
0: So there's all these others, and they're this one little group that's remained. Which
1: is what which is what a remnant means. Exactly. Those who and remain.
0: So, again, the word remnant isn't specifically invoked, but it is remains, right? And they're only ones left over. And this idea of God having a remnant who are faithful to that covenant, through God remembers and keeps, that's not just a Noah thing. That's, you're going to see that all through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and it culminates in the last days, that there's going to be this remnant people in the last day's time. Of course, we know well Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and Revelation chapter 14, when it talks about those faithful to God, who will, and we just don't have time for that study now, but you could look into it in your Sabbath school hmm. class. Look at, look at the language of apart from all the sinfulness of the world, there's going to be what the Bible and and Revelation calls the 144,000, or those those remnant people of God who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, have the faith of Jesus. That just like Noah was a type they will be an anti type. Like Noah was a shadow, they'll be a substance. Noah was a real event. Well, like-
1: it, it also will help, uh, you know, sometimes people make a, a, a big to do about this in the Adventist church. Like, why do we make ourselves the remnant? No, well, we didn't make ourselves the remnant. Mm. It's a biblical concept, and yes. it's not just in Revelation, and we didn't no. just. Ret- so you see, you go back, and that's, you know, Noah, the story of Noah is setting a precedent. You yes. find it throughout Scripture that God reserves. Those faithful to himself for a purpose and a mission. That's right. And so it's not, it, it, this should give us confidence in our interpretation of Absolutely. This Absolutely.
0: theology. Absolutely. and Theology. And, and at the bottom of Thursday's lesson, ask the question what parallels can we learn from the story of Noah that will help us prepare to be part of the remnant? And I think that's a very important thing to do because we could look at the story mm-hmm. of Noah, we could look about the flood and even the nuances of grace versus this yes. definition. But if we just leave saying, oh, that was interesting. Well, what's the impact for me now? Well, if that idea of Noah is reality, which it was, and if there's a parallel to the last days, which there is, then that means not only am I learning history, yeah. but I'm learning practical application, real-life theology, that how can I be a Noah in my generation? If the Lord is looking for a remnant who will be faithful like the Noah of old, how is that possible? Look at our world, Brother Mark. Is there mm-hmm. is there not... Are we not seeing a return to every inclination of the thoughts of the hearts that only evil sure. all the time? And there's going to be a distinction. And the question for me is, will it be seen in my life? Yeah. And that's a heavy thought. We well, the thought that
1: comes those. to my mind is a statement Ellen White makes that every blow of Noah's hammer is mm. preaching a sermon. mm You know, where's your ark? Right? Mercy. What are we doing yeah. that is the, the, the building an ark that people can see? You know, it wasn't just talking. mm you know, yeah, I, yeah. he, he was a had preacher been of building righteousness the boat yeah. and he's like, hey, there's a flood coming. But then he's just sipping pina coladas on the <laughs> right. beach. That wouldn't have had the impact. But he's building this boat. Mm. And that had, what are we building? Amen. I think that's kind of what and it, it, there's really well, not an answer you can at. give
0: there. But it's a great fodder for discussion, for personal reflection. And then in conclusion on Friday, it brings out this passage from Story of Redemption, page 71, and it and it kind of ends it a little bit early, but if you go back to the original source, uh, page 71, we add the final sentence in. And Pastor Howard, would you mind reading that the for us? The
1: final couple sentences. So it yeah. says, this symbol, the rainbow, speaking of the rainbow, in the clouds, is to confirm the belief of all and establish their confidence in God, for it is a token of divine mercy and goodness to man, that although God... ...had been provoked to destroy the earth by a flood, yet His mercy still encompasseth the earth. God says, when He looked upon the bow in the cloud, He will remember. He would not have us understand that He would ever forget, but He speaks to man in His own language, that man may better understand Him. Mm.
0: And that's what we want, to better understand God, and by God's grace become more like him. God has not forgotten this covenant with his people. Amen. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this powerful lesson. Thank you for these insights, these parallels that we can learn, not just in an abstract or, or kind of trivial kind of intellectual way, but truly spiritually, Lord, help us to ruminate on these great themes in our own lives, how they apply in our day to day. What does it mean to be like Noah, to find grace in the eyes of the Lord and by that grace, to be righteous and upright, blameless. Lord, we can only find that in you. Help each one of us to be connected with Jesus so closely that others can see Jesus in us, and by your grace, we can hasten the coming of Jesus. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.